0: Let's
1: go. The 4 o'clock football frenzy.
0: Hey, you hit me so hard down there.
1: Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The 4 o'clock football frenzy. On Cofield and Company. Company.
2: Yep, 4 o'clock hours here at TI, Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar, Cofield and Company on the scene as we're getting ready for a Golden Knights game tonight. 6.30 puck drop against a very familiar face, the Sharks. The Shacks, as some people would say. The Shacks. Rivalry spot, although the rivalry put aside for just a couple minutes for uh, Marlowe the other night and his uh, record-setting performance we got all the baseball games on right now we'll get you some updates on what's going on this afternoon in baseball the uh, Yankees dreadful Yankees candy what has happened to your team unbelievable unbelievable uh, in the second now bottom two Atlanta continues uh, at Yankee Stadium so what's going to happen to the Yankees they're gonna win like 60 games they're gonna they're gonna turn this around candy
0: Sixty seems a little high, don't you think? Does it? Wow, well, I mean, it feels like the, most,
2: the reaction of the New York media.
0: Feels like most fans have jumped ship yeah, already. Yeah. Forty wins. Forty. This team is horrible. They're terrible.
2: Expired.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> is that Aunt Bonnie? That's we Aunt just, Bonnie. Just jumped in and said the Yankees are expired. I don't blame her. I don't blame her. Uh, I'm not going to say Nick Sirianni is expired but some of his stuff's getting a little bit old and listen it's the NFL so if you're not clear on what you're saying we're going to run with it and fans are going to love it. Uh, Nick Sirianni today according to Adam Schefter declined to name Jalen Hurts as starting quarterback and instead said it will be an open competition and he followed it up by saying listen we've had like you know 2 days to really look at things and you know see guys up close it's not an open competition, is it? Is it? Is Jalen Hurts not established enough to hold off Jersey Joe Flacco? Steve, have you read the piece
0: in The Athletic from like a week and a half ago where they broke down the relationship between the Eagles owner, Jeff Lurie, the GM, Howie Roseman, and former coach Doug Peterson?
2: Tell me about it.
0: So this piece by Shield Kapati of The Athletic – goes deep, I mean deep, into the dysfunction within the Eagles organization and the fact that every Tuesday they made Doug Peterson sit down for an inquisition with the owner and the general manager where they went through <laughs> line by line and questioned basically everything that he did in the previous week's game. Oh and the God. Doug Peterson eventually just said, you know what? I don't need this. And so Doug Peterson leaves and in walks, uh, check my notes one more time, Nick Siriani. Uh, even though he was on the Indianapolis staff, we didn't know a thing about this guy. And so I guess what I'm getting at is it's really difficult for me to take Nick Sirianni seriously in anything that he says or does, whether he's saying that draft prospects need to impress him at rock, paper, scissors, or whether he's trying to convince us that Jalen Hurts might not be the starting quarterback because the rotting corpse of Joe Flacco is also somewhere within the locker room. Come on, man
2: joe burrow optimistic why shouldn't he be that he'll be ready for the beginning of the season coming back from an acl i don't like the look of that scar i'm gonna fade the bengals doc cofield pops up again
0: spent a lot of time looking at acl scars huh
2: i just it makes me queasy it makes me nervous so i'm gonna go under six and a half
0: okay good news for you he's gonna be wearing a uniform not going to have to look at it. Okay, well,
2: Brand new uniform at I know, that. I know what's there, and I suspect what's underneath it. It's not a good knee situation. I'm out. Okay. Hey, you know what? We
0: all have to have our betting systems. Yes. Um, I know we're <laughs> going to talk to Jeff Benson from Circus Sports about 40 minutes here. I'm going to ask him what the ACL scar system's profitability <laughs> has been over time.
2: Mark Davis is willing to die on this hill. That is a reference to the tweet. Up for now 23 hours. Raiders tweeting out yesterday in relation to the uh, Chauvin verdict and George Floyd. I can breathe for 2021. Ari, what should they do? You're annoyed that they're sticking by it I, uh, and not deleting the tweet?
4: I'm not annoyed. Uh, and that was my response, let's see, over 12 hours ago. Uh since then, a lot has happened to sway me a little bit. I, I'll just say this. I'm not I'm not outraged. I, I actually do kind of understand what the intent was, or I think I do. Um, it's just, it's extremely tone deaf. I, I would say it's risky. I would say that it doesn't really benefit, like it's not worth the try, so to speak. Let's, let's put this out. This is kind of a profound statement. I'm going to, you know, match that energy. I just don't, in between PR, I guess no one noticed that that was, whatever, ha- however this came out. Um, I will retract the dying on the hill thing because I guess, you know, like he actually owned it, whether or not he did it or not. But he's owning it. He's leaning into it. And it's not as pressing a matter. I know that it's polarizing, too. So there are some people that are like, hey, lighten up. It's not. This is what he meant, including Floyd's brother. So uh, I just, yeah, as I guess as the PR in me, that side of it just would not have gone that route. I think there's other things. Um, I think someone mentioned simply just uh, retweeting or, or. Restating what was said by Floyd's brother and kind of moving on from there. So well, I, don't th- I don't think it's the end of the world. I just think it could have been better thought. Process. George
2: Floyd's family has come out and said we're cool with it. We're cool with the raiders. So why delete it, Candy?
0: Not necessarily saying you should delete it, but context is everything, as Adam Hill said to us when we talked to him about 45 minutes ago. And there's still no context. There's right? If you go on to Twitter right now and you just see the tweet. There's still no context. There's still not an attachment to another statement from Mark Davis. There's still not, hey, I've heard you, and this is why I'm leaving it up. You have to go find another story. You have to be deeply invested in this. And that's not what Twitter does. Twitter isn't here for context. Twitter's here for takes with a Z. And so if you're going to leave it there, and it's going to be the same statement that If someone who didn't know anything 24 hours ago came and found it would not know any more of what Mark Davis has said, would not know any more of what the Floyd family has said, I feel like you're
2: missing out. I think what Adam Hill said yesterday, that sometimes you can sit things out. um, And I was getting, I don't know if the word is irked at a lot of the statements yesterday. And I was doing what I think a lot of people were doing, and that is combing through each one of the statements, to see if it it nailed what I thought it should nail. Yesterday was weird. I thought it was an odd day with all the statements, and I thought there was a little bit of virtue signaling. You can sit these things out. And then there's the issue of, you know, if you're an NFL team, you, you really need to have a super qualified, diverse social media team It's important. If you're going to get involved on issues like this, you better have professionals and you better have a good cross-section of people who are all going to compare notes on whether this is the message and if we've nailed the message that we want to get out there.
0: Late this past season, Paul Gutierrez from ESPN talked to Mark Davis, and they went deep on a number of things. And one of the things that they went deep on was – The situation with Derek Carr and his offensive line back in 2017 in Washington, around the time of the Colin Kaepernick protests and kneeling during the National Anthem, and Mark Davis admitted that that was something that ended up fracturing his team. Mm, So Mark Davis comes from a background of understanding how these things can not only be perceived by the general public, but by your team, because that's the part that we really haven't had the opportunity to get into. What does his team think of this? And what does it mean to his team? Because we've heard from the Floyd family, and that certainly has its own importance in terms of our own understanding and our own context here. But Mark Davis has the platform to say this because he owns an NFL team. And it's his players
1: whose opinions matter the most. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. Now back to Cofield & Company, live at the Golden Circle Sports Book & Bar inside Treasure Island.
2: Getting ready for a Vegas Golden Age, uh, Knights game tonight against San Jose. Chance to clinch a spot in the playoffs. Candy's here It's Cofield. Caleb Herring is here as well. Caleb, how you doing, buddy?
5: I'm good, man. I'm good. It's, it's a nice sunny day here in Vegas. Weather's turning around. I like it, but yes. I'm doing good. How about you guys?
2: Uh, great. Yeah, great. I'm not in one of these cold weather areas watching baseball in snow, which is still mind-boggling. It's not as if I've been, you know, I've been around a long time. I know that it snows in the spring in cold areas, but yeah, uh, the weather here is freaking awesome. But you know, yesterday was a really interesting day to kind of work through. I know you have some thoughts on it. Um, first of all, let's start off with the Raiders tweet, which has gotten so much attention over the last day or so. And when I saw it, I didn't immediately flip out. But you know what? I'm not you, Caleb Herring. So what do you think when you saw the Raiders tweet that said, "I can breathe for 2021"?
5: No, I, I mean, I was the same as you. I, I didn't really overreact until I, or, you know, have, I, I, I understood when I saw the tweet that it was a message of support. I, I'll say it that way. Um, I just seeing it and with the date posted and understanding what happened, you know, yesterday as far as the verdict being announced and things like that, I understood that the Raiders were coming from a place of support. Um, and then, you know, the reaction, of course, started to trickle out. As, as this is wrong. This is the wrong way to say it. Um, et cetera, et cetera. The presentation was all off. It was tone deaf and, and so on and so forth. But I stuck with my initial response. I I, I felt that where the Raiders were coming from and, and where Mark Davis was coming from with that response was in a very supportive way, understanding that it was something that was important and significant um, for not only the Floyd family, but all the supporters and, and those who in communities of color and who ha- are, are vested and interested in these, the, the issues of social injustice or on police brutality, it meant a lot to 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 hear the verdict for the first time and really, you know, in recent history and in, in, in history in general, to hear uh, a favorable verdict when it comes to police brutality on, on a big stage like that. Um, so I, I still took it as a message of support. And I understand how people could see it as kind of tone deaf or um, making it uh, kind of taking the intent and, and um, injecting your own personal opinions into it or what you interpret it from. The message, and I think with social media, that's such a. I think you guys are talking about there's such a fine line between your intent when you're saying something uh, on a public platform like that, and the the wide array of interpretations that can come from your your small short message. So um, I think Mark Davis had his intent. And I think it was, in my opinion, when I initially saw it, I think the intent was was right and on the right side of things, um, and the interpretations I think just uh, just varied and widely varied, and some were just negative uh, responses, but I I don't disagree with the statement. I think, you know, coming from George Floyd's brother and the Floyd family, they, you know, they support the statement, and they understood where it came from, and they they were able to say, we understand what you meant by that, and, and kind of stand by the statement, so I think as a public, we should all take a second and say, you know, maybe I'm interpreting this different, and maybe... The intent was pure, and I, and I can be okay with that, at least okay with it. You don't have to make this thing yourself or make it a rallying cry or anything, but just be okay with the fact that somebody else saw fit to say it that way and show their support in that way.
0: Caleb, you kind of hinted at this in the middle of your answer to that last question, but how did you feel yesterday when you saw not only the verdict, but the reaction from various corners afterward?
5: You know, it's, it's funny because I... Just to tie it into the quote, I, I understood kind of what that was saying. I can breathe. And this is just from a personal standpoint. I, I know the, the you know, what I can't breathe meant and what the, the literal translation of that, but for this whole trial and since last year, really, um, since the arrest of, of Chauvin and, and this whole case, I you've been holding your breath because as a, someone who's looked into the history of the the relationship between law enforcement and and the black community and um, the way these things go, Um, I was bracing myself for a Watts riot or, you know, things like that, that we've had when the verdict wasn't favorable. And when, you know, I just remember thinking, you know, Trayvon Martin's case with George Zimmerman was just such a cut and dry to me, in my opinion, obvious this kid was murdered, right? And there should be some sort of justice. And I remember the shock of, not getting that justice. So for a long time, for this whole trial, I've been holding my breath and as to see, like, okay, is is this going to be the same old thing? Um, but I think in that in that spirit, and that from my own personal interpretation, I can understand. Um, you know, I can breathe now. I can because justice. You know, in my, in my opinion, I think there was justice from the verdict, and I think you know you're starting to see accountability, which is which is I think the, the answer to all of this accountability on all sides. Um, for how things go, so I, I was relieved to see that the outcome of the of the trial was one that a got some sense of justice for the family and for the community who experienced this, and b kind of set the standards for accountability going forward. Um, and and it, as 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 painful as it is to say, and as much as I don't want to say, avoided the catastrophe or the the chaos or the riotous actions that may have ensued had the verdict not gone the way it did. So um, it was kind of a sigh of relief, you know, getting that verdict back the way it came.
0: Caleb Herring joining us here on Cofield & Company. Caleb, um, we had roughly a few hours between uh, the build-up to the Floyd verdict and then another uh, police shooting of a 16-year-old girl in Columbus. And so you referenced the fact that there was some relief of the avoidance of something being worse does the verdict in the george floyd trial give you any sense of okay this is something where we might be able to start to go the other direction and be able to move toward more justice or do you see something like what happened in columbus and feel like wow we we got like a few hours of relief here
5: well i think it's it's the two first first i would say two incidents are very different and you know from my perspective know, being involved in law enforcement, obviously, and then uh, I, I think just looking at the two situations and what we know so far about them, um, very different circumstances, right? So that's the first thing I'd say. Um, but the second thing I would say is that, that both point out flaws in, in both policing and in society that I think need to be worked at, um, whether it's um, in-home violence or violence against fellow citizens or the way we react to, to resolving our own personal conflict in our lives. And then also the way that law enforcement interacts with this, with the community they police, in essence, and the community that they serve, and I, I think should be a more fitting term. Um, but I, I think it does sting a little bit to, you know, get that verdict, and then just hours later see, you know, another situation where law enforcement encounter goes bad. And I won't say, you know, that the officer was 100 percent wrong because I don't know all the facts. I won't say that um for for that columbus shooting i won't say that i know all the details but anytime a police interaction no matter how wrong or right the victim was no matter how wrong or right the officer was anytime that interaction ends with a death uh, either of the officer or the civilian um you could say it was a bad interaction we got to work to make those better um i don't think i think the verdict gives hope to people that at least accountability is achievable i think the next step that both sides both law enforcement and civilian population have to take is how do we avoid having to hold someone accountable for their actions? How do we get to a place where um, the amount of people that die, whether justified or unjustified at the hands of law enforcement, is dwindling closer to zero? And we get to a community and society where police aren't required to show that kind of deadly force or make that decision. Then I think that we can work towards that. And I think that verdict does give me the hope that that's attainable, or at least the accountability aspect of it is attainable.
2: Caleb Herring up on Cofield and Company. Caleb's in law enforcement as well, so he brings that perspective. You just heard uh, a little bit of that. Did you guys talk about this at work? Or was, was there anyone who was mad? I just I wonder what uh, you know what the, the thought is of uh, across law enforcement. Again, not a monolith, so not everyone's going to agree.
5: Right, and, and that's I think that's the thing. That a lot of people forget about law enforcement. There's a, there's a wide spectrum of, of people and opinions and political and. And otherwise, that are opinionated and and within the profession because we're humans, too. Um, But I do think that the overarching uh, majority of law enforcement personnel that I've spoken with um, have no issue with calling a bad cop or the actions of a cop that were bad or or hateful or shameful to the profession, even, um, when they see it. And I think the overarching majority of people were in agreement that this was uh, this was this was not good policing um, to say the least. Right. So um, I I don't, I wouldn't say that there was a joyous, you know, celebratory victory lap that was taken. um, But I I would say that, you know, everybody understands when you put on the badge, you're putting on more than just a shiny piece of metal, right? You're putting on what that badge represents and you have an an oath that you stand by and that you swear in with And and you you have a duty to uphold it in all circumstances and a duty to care and um, value life. And I think that's, I think that is in the eyes of good officers, and I tend to try to surround myself with those, right? Um, that that was the understanding. And Officers make mistakes. Officers have patterns of behavior, and we we would be the first to call it out, right? And the good ones should. Um, so I don't think anybody was upset necessarily at the verdict, but um, we'll see how, how the law enforcement community reacts as a whole. But I, I don't think anybody with a reasonable... Um, mindset in law enforcement would have an issue with the verdict that came out on Monday.
2: Caleb Herring is with us. Uh, let's get a couple of football questions in here. Not so important, but uh, Caleb was with us, and this is his expertise along with uh, law enforcement. Uh, we got this weird story today, Nick Sirianni talking about uh, asking or playing rock, paper, scissors with draft prospects. Maybe, maybe I don't get it. I don't know. I don't know what goes into the process. I guess you're, you're trying to reinvent the wheel coming up with different ways to see, you know, what sort of competitive fire guys have. you ever heard anything like this? And, like, what would be your reaction if you were an NFL draft prospect and the coach is like, all right, rock, paper, scissors
5: time? Yeah, I'd probably laugh at him, honestly. (laughs) I mean, not with all due respect, laugh at him, because I'm trying to get that job, right? But, I mean, (laughs) there's other ways to evaluate football talent and and a guy's competitive drive than rock, paper, scissors in a serious way. And I just don't think that that comes off as, you know, serious – you know evaluation if that if that even is a serious thing it could have been a joke i don't know but it, it comes off as just a little bit ridiculous off the wall you know and like you said trying to reinvent the wheel. Um, you don't have to do things like that you're trying to be different you're trying to stand out and you know make a name for yourself i guess as as the new head coach and um you know make an impact and i going as far as say that the, the competition's open uh, i i don't think that it should be open i but you know those kind of things are just I guess the way you go about handling the media in your first year um, as a head coach, you you try to kind of establish something different and something new. I don't think rock, paper, scissors is the move, though. I don't think (laughs) you should be saying that you're using rock, paper, scissors a child game, like a child game that we've all played um, to evaluate a quarterback's ability or a player's ability or where they should fall on a draft board. It's kind of of off the wall there.
2: Let's talk about one of the guys who's uh, projected top 20, maybe top 10, the Heisman winner Devontae Smith measured officially at six foot half an inch, one hundred and sixty-six pounds. Is that just too small to, to warrant a top ten selection?
5: It's it's dangerous. It's risky. The explosive plays, the explosion, the speed, the the athleticism that he brings you at at from his position is. I can understand why you would want to, or you know why the the wild wow factors there for him as far as getting that top fifteen. Top twenty spot, but I when you draft that high, you're not only drafting for now. You know, you're typically drafting for longevity for the future, somebody to kind of build around or to at least be a consistent piece that you're working with. And I just don't know if it's proven. And I I mean, this has been a story for Smith his whole career, right? He's always been a small guy, and people probably said the same thing when he signed up to play at Alabama. But look what he did there! Won the Heisman, right? And that was a part of his Heisman speech was kind of proven the the doubters wrong. So I'm not going to put it against him. But for a team, a business, really, is how we should phrase this. And I guess a team, you would seem like, yeah, get the best player that's available. But for the business aspect of football, I don't know if it's worth the investment of a top 20 pick. And that's nothing against his talent or his ability. It's just, have we seen somebody at that size survive the NFL for a full 17 now, Game season and be, you know, as impactful for the entirety of that year, taking hits by guys a lot bigger than him and a lot stronger than him, over and over, and being really able to contribute as, as much as a top fifteen, top twenty pick should. That's the aspect that I'm worried about. I think his talent is talent wise. He deserves that. There deserves that respect for what he did at Alabama. But um, I, I, the longevity of a guy above 66 in the NFL is uh, is is just something that I have a question about.
2: NFL turned down a bunch of rule proposals today. One thing they did agree to is they're going to open things up when it comes to numbers on different players and the positions. They got something goofy. It's probably not going to change a whole lot this year because you've got to buy out the inventory of your jersey if you're changing jersey numbers, which is nuts. Um, is this important to the players? Like, Do players really care? Like, When you were going to school, did you care what number uh, you wore? Like, Would you like to have been like number 99 at quarterback?
5: I mean, that would have been great, right? 9-9 quarterbacks stand out for sure. But, you know, there is some significance to having numbers. And I think, um, you know, for me, it, the number that I would have loved to have was number five. It was like paying homage to my dad who played quarterback. And that was the number I had all throughout my, you know, Pop Warner high school career. And unfortunately, I couldn't have it in, at UNLV, but I just made number eight my own, right? So it would have meant something to me to keep number five. And I know a lot of players have, Maybe more significant reasons for having a number, maybe some some pledge to a, a you know a, a, a child or something like that that they want to uphold, or, or maybe just like the number. It could be the the reasons vary of why guys like to have different numbers. But overall, I don't think it's the biggest deal as far as what what the league will look like. You may have, like you said, the jersey sales might be the biggest, the most impacted area of this because. Now somebody's going to have, you know, a throwback jersey or, you know, remember when he was number 19. And you see that a lot when guys change teams um, and they have a new number with the new team and the the old jersey somehow becomes like kind of a throwback if you have that when you're a real fan, whatever, what have you. But, um, yeah, I don't think that's going to be – there's other rule changes and things that I think they've added too that that I think will have bigger impact. And I think uh, the replay official one is one that kind of stands out to me with um, them being able to have input on on, on on-the-field decisions based on what they see from the from the broadcast booth, which, uh, when it comes to challenging plays, head coaches have always had the guy in the, in the headset um, on the team, where the, the coordinator who's upstairs, kind of saying, hey, yeah, you should throw the flag on that because of what we're seeing upstairs, and now, I guess, having an official with that perspective to just tell the, the referees down on the field that, hey, you got that spot wrong, or hey, that is an incomplete pass, we don't need them to throw the challenge flag and waste all of our time, just we'll get the decision right from the get-go, so... Those kind of things, I think, impact the game a little bit, too. Um, But, yeah, I don't think the numbers thing will end up being that big of a deal. Uh, Of course, a couple guys will switch, but um, I think uh, most of the guys with established names will stick with the number they've made for themselves in the NFL.
2: Caleb, great job, man. We appreciate it. Tough stuff to talk about. Uh, You're always there for us. Thank you.
5: All right, guys. You have a good one. Enjoy.
2: There he is, Caleb Herring, the former UNLV quarterback, now does radio as the analyst covering the Rebels. All right. In about uh, 15 minutes we're going to check in with one of the uh, sports book directors uh, here in town. Uh, Jeffrey Benson is going to talk NFL draft props as uh, we'll see what the action is like, the handle. And we'll also look back and see uh, how uh, another one of these books did when it came to that weird Jake Paul fight.
1: Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Now for Dustin DeHart's Club 99, back to Steve Cofield.
2: Candy, I don't know what your schedule's been like lately, but I'm trying to get back into TV a little more, trying to carve out some time. I think in the uh, grab bag, I'll mention a couple of the weird shows I've been watching lately lately. You know, the businessman on the show, and he's got a a very uh, drama-filled... It's a rough life, is Ari. I don't know where he finds time to chill, where he finds time to watch TV. For the longest time, he didn't have cable, so uh, I think I tried to contribute to the Ari Cable Fund, and I I don't know what he did. I think he bought, like, a beard trimmer or something. Uh, He's trying to pitch us a show called The Circle. Says The Circle is back. Uh, The S.O., the significant other... Tried to watch the trailer yesterday, and she's she's pretty open to a lot of shows, and, and she bailed on the trailer. So Ari says this show is tremendous.
4: Uh, I wouldn't go that far with tremendous. I think it's very entertaining. You uh, said, I freaking love it. That <laughs> yeah. means it's tremendous. Oh, you're right. That's, a, that's Adam Hill's version as I, as I love it. Okay. Uh, it's basically the show – and I will preface this with this came out last year during the pandemic. They uh, were in the quarantine, like the dark ages in April uh, when there was plenty of time to watch some TV. So uh, all embarrassment aside, I checked this out. So it's basically a reality show, probably heavily scripted. And the goal is to be the most popular person out of the original. There's eight to start with, and it varies from there. Your goal is to be the most popular in that group. So it doesn't matter if you're an attractive girl attractive guy a smart guy witty whatever none of that matters it's like the moves you make and eventually like you know they let they send one person home and then they add someone and special guests whatever here's the thing though these people don't actually uh talk to one another it's only virtual everything is done typing and with pictures sure so there's an element of catfish and it's all just strategy and like i said it's it's very corny they're like super every single thing is like the most amazing thing ever oh my god i got a message and they freak out and they're like super energetic kind of annoying but it's also funny uh, and then there's just fun strat. like I just like to watch people do what they do to try to get this money like there's currently two people that are one is a woman she's posing as her husband as Ooh. a single father Ooh. like to kind of get that you know oh, I'm a single father so you know to get that but she's not she's actually his wife and then another person is uh is doing the same thing that they're acting like basically that they're a girl and it's actually like a 21 year old Teenage guy, or not teenage guy, guy, young guy. All right, you're
2: starting to leak oil, but I I like the pitch so far. Uh, I'll give Ari's pitch a 74 on the Madden scale. Candy, Ari's pitch, and any shot you watch this show.
0: Uh, Start with the obvious, no. Uh, There's no chance at all that I (laughs) watch this show. (laughs) We spend enough time in our jobs on social media and dealing with trying to figure out in the world we're dealing with every day. Right. The idea of doing this in my free time sounds stressful. But then again, that's probably why it appeals to Ari. Because when you're Ari, you got to maintain a certain level of stress at all times to keep the brand right. So I get that. Uh, Ari's pitch, I- I'm going to give it a 65. Because wow. I- I- it started strong. It started like, oh, okay, these people got to impress each other. And then it became like... Who is going to be the best Manti Teo in this whole group?
2: All right. Yeah, I think he started to get nervous because I didn't cut him off as I usually do, and I let him go. So that's why he started to fade a little bit. Now, here's the thing. I said the, uh, the girlfriend watched the trailer, and she was like, no, nah, I'm out. Um, her viewing habits don't always reflect my viewing habits because I am my 12 seasons into Below Deck. And I'm a lunatic about that show, and she won't watch it. So sometimes I can surprise and be hooked. And maybe this could be a learning experience. I'm an old person. Maybe my new persona could be, uh, you know, a, a hip 22-year-old.
4: I will even share with you, spoiler alert, one of the people catfishing is uh, well over. like He's like in his 60s. Yeah. And he's figuring a way out to, you know, get with the young people. Old guys, old guys, hey. old guys. All right. He also created his own hashtag. It was uh, just for the fun because he doesn't know what he's doing. So he's like, sure. yeah, blah, 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 JFTF. And, and everyone's like, what is this dude doing? So, yeah, you'd fit in great.
2: Are there attractive people on the show? Uh, most importantly, is there someone I can sort of connect with, associate with? Is there a, a chubby person on the show? Uh, I don't need a full bevy of beauties. It makes me feel bad about myself.
4: Yeah, I can't help you with that. It's It's, it's mostly beauties, yes. Even like the virtual, like the older guy, like he's he's playing a young, te- like a young nineteen-year-old, you know, heartthrob guy. So
2: okay, the circle. Ari says to the audience, "Watch it, everyone. Try it, and then we can talk about it a couple of times and see if Ari is a complete jackass, and if we dislike him even more than we do now." Club
1: 99 is presented by Dustin DeHart at Nova Home Loans. Want to talk interest rates and ask about getting your mortgage tuned up? Dustin is Cofield's real estate guy. He needs to be yours too. Call Dustin DeHart at 577 2600. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting. Candy, I know you
2: cover the gambling scene like no one else, and you always back me down on. uh possibilities of betting just about everything in the world, like you can't go on Vegas board so I'm curious on this one should we not be able to bet the next Jeopardy host, they've just released five more people who will host on the heels of uh, Ken Jennings, who stinks Uh, Aaron Rodgers, who I think is really good Robin Roberts, George Stephanopoulos David Faber, Joe Buck and media superstar powerhouse LeVar Burton I like that group I like that group a lot
0: I'm going to defer to people much smarter than me about whether or not we should be able to bet on that because right. of the amount of risk that would be involved for the sports book in right. having to take on something like that, which uh, seems to lend itself to
3: inside information.
2: Uh, Jeffrey Benson's with us from Circus Sports here on this Wednesday. Jeffrey, how are you?
3: Good. I uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, looking forward to talking some NFL draft stuff.
2: Yes, we're going to get the NFL draft, but first, why can't I bet the next Jeopardy host? Why can't we put that up on the board?
3: Well, the same way that uh, you can't remotely uh, register and, and fund a mobile account uh, here in Nevada, you know, it seems like uh, we're kind of stuck in the past with some of these antiquated uh, rules and regulations. Um, you know, obviously, you know, having the ability to bet the Oscars and, you know, having the ability to bet some of these more niche markets, um, while it's would certainly be fun and, you know, have a lot of uh, very good handle, uh, you know, as you guys mentioned before, you know, having the uh, ability to have some of this inside information leak um, and it not necessarily to be as much of a deciding on the playing field kind of thing. And, you know, that's why currently, you know, a lot of this stuff is uh, done overseas and offshore uh, as opposed to here in regulated markets within the United States.
2: So the Oscars are a good example. Uh, would you feel would you feel safe? I mean, obviously you're making a reference to to gaming and sort of, you know some of the antiquated ideas. But the Oscars could you could we police it enough to make it secure where you would feel comfortable booking it at Circa?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think with anything, you know, you're going to have a lead up to the event, uh, you know, and obviously with the draft, uh, we have to stop taking wagers, you know, 24 hours prior. Um, you know, if you put some similar protections in, maybe a week out with the Oscars, things like that. And then obviously when you look at the limits that you're going to take on this stuff, you know, maybe nickels or dimes, uh, you know, you're you're not going to get beat up too bad. But, you know, I I know from experience in terms of booking the NFL draft, uh, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of the lead up to it uh, is going to be very sharp money with guys who, you know, get the information before the bookmakers. So, you know, it's certainly tough when you're booking these niche markets to uh, to ultimately turn a profit, uh, similar to what you're going to find in a lot of these major sport markets, you know, like the NFL and college football. I'll pivot
0: to NFL Draft in just a moment. I'll follow this thread for one more second here. I know you guys are very creative down there in terms of the ways that you book certain markets. Have you had the kind of discussions, you know, just batting it around with you guys? Like, if you could book whatever you wanted to, what would be sort of like top-of-the-list things where you're like, yeah, you know, we wish we could put that
3: up? You know, it's, it's, uh, that's a really good question. You know, I haven't I haven't thought a ton about it, but, you know, I obviously – uh, the, the thing that comes first and foremost uh, and, and to be honest it, it might be something that would would generate even more handle um, than a lot of the sports we book on a day-to-day basis uh, would be political elections you know if we were able to uh, you know book money uh, you know on, on the presidential election say for example you know the amount regardless of our opinion on it um, you know the ability to, to, to put a market up um, that you're just going to find so many different opinions about um, and things that sway with polls and, you know, participants, you know, w- you know what they do on a day-to-day basis and things like that. I think it would be such a fascinating market to book, um, given, you know, how popular it is with sports fans and non-sports fans uh, or betting fans and, and non-betting fans. Um, I, I think the right that you would see on uh, a presidential election uh, would be something that would exceed the Super Bowl.
0: Yeah, asked the folks over at Betfair uh, what they were doing this year uh, over in the UK with the, uh, the election. It was amazing. All right, so when it comes to the NFL draft, uh, you guys posted, and uh, I commented on this on social a couple days ago, I really liked the markets you came up with for each individual team and what position they might draft. And you put a yes and a no up on that uh has has that been particularly interesting or are there certain markets that have been more attractive to betters that you guys have had posted up here on the
3: nfl draft yeah we did a hundred over under draft positions uh for each uh, for individual players Um, and i think when you look at the draft uh and the intuitiveness behind betting something like that it's very easy for you know the average uh individual uh to understand you know you know, Kellen Mond is 91.5, you know, and whether you think he's going to be drafted higher than that or lower than that. So I would say predominantly up to this point, you know, obviously a lot of the money we've seen early has been sharp, uh, but I would say predominantly the bets that we've seen so far um, have, have tended to the over-under draft position. Um, I think as we get a little bit closer to the draft, um, you'll definitely see a lot of people um, who will bet you know, what their favorite uh, individual team uh, we'll do with our first round or second round pick, um, and then obviously, given that we're here um, in Vegas, and then we also operate in Colorado. You know, I, I would certainly send, uh, tend to think uh, that you would have the Raider fans uh, come out and bet what the Raiders' uh, first draft pick will be, uh, and then similarly in Colorado, uh, what the Denver Broncos' uh, first round draft pick will be. Uh, but you know, for us, we wanted to put up as wide ranging uh, of markets as possible. And I think when you look at it with, uh, you know, 132 two-sided props uh, and then, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of six to eight tournament-style offerings, you know, I think the depth of our draft menu uh, is maybe as big as you'll ever find. And, you know, that was certainly something we were committed uh, to putting on the board and, uh, you know, giving bettors a chance to, uh, you know, have some fun uh, and and sweat some props here uh, for the NFL draft come the 29th of April.
0: Jeffrey Benson, Sportsbook Manager down at Circa Sports, joining us here on Cofield & Company. You mentioned the Raiders, and it's interesting. I'm looking right now at the list that you have up for the Raiders, and, you know, the Raiders have not really tipped their hand a whole lot as to who they might draft, and so, you know, you've got a list that stretches out to about a dozen players here and then obviously a a field bet beyond that, but have you seen uh, much action thus far in terms of the Raiders, and and do you have any sense of uh, where they might go?
3: Yeah, we haven't seen a ton of action on this. You know, I'm, I'm thankful to say that I only see one wide receiver on the list. Uh, that that for, for for Raider fans, that's probably a good thing. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I, it was funny. I was talking with uh, with John Gruden uh, when he actually came down here uh, a couple weeks ago, and we were just kind of chit chatting and, and talking about the draft. And you know, uh, he's certainly excited uh, for them this year. And you know, obviously they've got a, a number of different positions. Uh, that they certainly need to to, to fill. Um, but based on the odds, when you're looking at things, uh, it seems like if, if they were to go on the offensive side of the ball uh, that they would uh, revamp that offensive line. Um, and then obviously, you know, they definitely have some needs uh, defensively uh, that they could address as well. So, you know, I think uh, as we lead up to the draft and, you know, some of these uh, rumors and, you know, scouting reports and things start to, you know, uh, come to life. Uh, that you could see some of these odds move and, uh, you know, they could kind of get locked in on certain players.
0: Wait a minute. So you have the information. You have the – you talked to John Gruden yourself. You have the information we all wish we could have.
3: Yeah, he said he he, he needed more draft picks because they had too many holes to fill. So, you know, I'm not much (laughs) help there. Uh, But, yeah, certainly certainly hopeful that, uh, you know, the Raiders get a a really decent first-round pick here and, you know, somebody that they can build around uh, in future years to come.
0: Anything in particular that you guys have drawn action on that has surprised you? Any any of the markets that you put up where you thought, yeah, maybe we'll do a little bit uh, right on this one, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh okay, the uh, the Sharp guys are really interested in this.
3: Yeah, I would say uh, when you're kind of looking at what we've taken early, I would say the majority of the bets and the moves so far are, are a lot of unders. Um, they've been betting a lot of the unders on the wide receivers, including Schwartz, uh, St. Brown, and Bateman. Um, but I think when you look at uh, the the two biggest moves we've seen so far, uh, that would be Davis Mills, uh, the quarterback for Stanford. We opened him 140-and-a-half. He's all the way down to 60-and-a-half. Wow. So that, that's moved 80 spots. Um, and then when you look at Kellen Vaughn, um, another quarterback uh, out of Texas A&M, uh, that was a very popular under as well. Uh, we opened 170-and-a-half, and, uh, and we're currently down to 91-and-a-half. Uh, so that has also moved 80 uh, positions. So, you know, w- when you go first to market uh, and, and you put up a lot of these openers and you're, you're first in the world, you know, you're going to get some numbers right. You're going to get some numbers wrong. You know, for us, ultimately, we, we don't really care. We just want to kind of put up markets uh, that we think are going to right. Um, and, then, you know, u- utilizing the guy's, uh, you know, talent and experience in the back. Uh, you know, we ultimately think we're able to get uh, to the right number uh, as quickly as possible. And then uh, at that number, we can write the majority of our bets.
2: It's Cofield and company here on a Wednesday. Uh, we're at the D again at Bar Canada on Monday inside of the D, one of the many places you can find a Circa Sportsbook. And Jeffrey Benson is one of the guys running the shop at Circa. Let's close on, on this one, go back to last weekend on that goofy boxing match with Ben Askren and Jake Paul. I wonder how you guys did. And secondly, When you see a fight like that, and it looked, I don't know, I'm not going to say it was shady. It was just a weird fight. These celebrity crossover fights, they're bizarre. Does it give you any pause in terms of booking those kinds of fights, you know, full bore, taking a good amount of money on a fight like that?
4: No,
3: it it really doesn't. Um, You know, I I, I think on a lot of these markets when you open them, you know, the limits when you open them uh, aren't going to be as high as when the market closes. Um, And I think utilizing that tier system, uh, and as the market becomes more efficient, uh, the limits conversely go up. Uh, I think that's the, the, the proper way to book it. Um, you know, for us, uh, when we went into the fight, uh, we needed uh, Jake Paul in the under, uh, so obviously a knockout there in the first round uh, was something we were very happy with. I I, I mean, I've been in the back there and watched a number of boxing events and things like that, and, and bets come across the ticker. The amount of two-way action and handle um, on a fight with a YouTube star um, and kind of, to be honest, a washed-up MMA guy was something that, you know, I I really didn't expect to see. I mean, it it, it outwrote, you know, Canelo fights and things like that. I mean, it it really delivered uh, in terms of the action just because I I think people had such polarizing opinions on how could an MMA guy ever lose to a YouTube star and, you know, for, for guys who are back in Jake Paul, obviously, they've seen how successful he's been so far. Uh Obviously, you know, the guys he's fought haven't been huge names. But, you know, he's been in the gym and training well, and he's got a lot of boxing guys in his corner. So, you know, I think when you look at it, you know, people were coming from kind of different camps uh with who, which fighters they thought were going to be successful. And, you know, ultimately, uh, that translated to a ton of bets. Um, you know, the market kind of opened high, and then it kind of dipped there when people really bought into the Aspirin stuff. And then I think you kind of saw a little bit of sentiment shift um, after the weigh-in. You know, Jake Paul looked really, really good, uh, and I can't really say the same about Ben Askren. Um So I think after that point, you saw a little bit of Paul money, um, ultimately before uh, fight night, uh, where there was a little buyback on Astrid. But, you know, from a handle and volume uh, perspective, uh, it, it gives me great confidence on a lot of these fights moving forward uh, just because of the opinions the public's going to take. And, you know, we wrote great to it. Uh, we were very happy with the results and, uh, you know, certainly excited um, about a lot of these spinoff events to come.
2: Jeffrey, great job, man. We appreciate the time. Thank you.
3: Thanks, guys. You have a great rest of the day.
2: There he is. Jeffrey Benson, one of the guys running the Circa Sportsbook. We'll come back here. We're getting ready for VGK, uh, VGK Hockey. Over at the, uh, well, it's not over there. Uh, We're here at the TI, inside the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. uh, Breaking news. Alex Rodriguez is a philanderer. Shocker.
1: Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.